This morning, we are going to consider the experience of waiting for God. You've got faith, and so you know that things as they are right now, it just doesn't match what God wants, but nothing seems to be changing. And so you're waiting for God. How do you face that situation in faith? Our teacher is going to be David. If you have a Bible, open to Psalm 13. David here teaches us how to face that situation, which if you have not ever lived through it, at some point you will, of knowing that things are not as God wants them to be and having to wait nonetheless. Psalm 13 begins like this, verse 1. How long, O Lord, whenever your faith does not match with your experience, this ought to be your question. When you know that this is not how God wants it to be, and you trust that someday it will be different, but right now nothing's changes, nothing's changing. It's natural to ask, how long will things be like this? How long until they're straightened out? Have you been through a season like that where your faith and your experience don't line up? Have you? Yeah. You raise your children to love God because your faith tells you that this is what God wants, but now... They don't want to have anything to do with God. What do you do then? Or you're alone and you're looking for someone to love that can love you and you can love them back and you've been praying for it, but you're still waiting. Uh, You've worked at reconciliation because you know that peace is what God wants, but they're still holding the door closed. We've all been waiting these days, right? We're waiting for the, the virus to finally go away. We're waiting for this time of separation to be behind us, for the end of our divisions and our disunity and all of this disharmony and this incivility. We're waiting, and and in a time like that, it's natural to ask, how long? How long do we have to keep going through this? Uh, Certainly, Martin Luther King Jr., in his own day, saw that things were not as God wanted them to be, and because of his faith, because of what he believed about God, he had to go on Waiting, and that was his question, how long? Uh, For David, this question at the start of Psalm 13 is not a hypothetical. It's a question that comes because of what he believes about God. Uh, Listen now, his faith told him, God listens every time you cry out. But David's been crying an awful lot, and it feels like God's not hearing him. Have Have you experienced that? He believes that God cares about him just as he is, And yet, he can't imagine how anyone who who God cared about would have to go through the kinds of things he's living through. He trusts that he matters to God. He believes it. His faith has, has assured him of that. But he cannot imagine how anyone was valued by God would have to live through what he's living through. He knows God's promises, that the people who delight in God's way will will prosper, the ones who seek God's path will receive guidance, that the righteous will be guarded and protected. But here he is, languishing, lost, and under attack. So he is living in that tension between his belief on the one hand and his experience on the other. And right there, his question is, how long? Now, if you have faith and you live in the real world, this will be your question at some point. Maybe 
It's your question this morning. As I open this up for you, you're thinking, that's just where I am. Anyone there? If you're there, what's going to happen is your mind is going to suggest some explanations for why it is as it is, and some of those explanations are going to be pretty bleak. We see it right here with David. After this initial question, he goes on to ask four more, and each one reveals a possible explanation in his mind for why things are hard like they are. Let's look at them one at a time. Here's the second half of verse one. Will you forget me forever? Try to imagine you're asking that question of God. If that question is your mind, is in your mind, it means you have an explanation there for why things are like they are. You're thinking to yourself, my problems must not matter to God enough for him to pay attention to me. He's got other things that he's occupied with. Those other issues over there, they're more important than what I'm struggling with. The reason that I feel distant from God is, well, it must be that God's forgotten me. And that's the first explanation that occurs to David. God has forgotten about me. This is what it feels like when you're struggling with depression, when you're alone and pretty sure that you're abandoned. Uh, Now, if you're going through that and you don't believe in God, then you can just say, it is what it is and it doesn't matter. But if you have faith and you feel alone and abandoned, then your question is, if God cares about me and loves me, Why should I have to feel like this? Maybe it's because God's forgotten about me. Look at the second question he asks. How long will you hide your face from me? Uh, Maybe it's not that God's forgotten about me, he thinks. Maybe it's that God is mad at me. I've done something that's offended him, and even though I'm out there looking for God, God's avoiding me. A second explanation for the fact that nothing's changing. God doesn't want to interact with me, David thinks, because he doesn't like me. Uh, Maybe this sounds like a strange thing uh, for a person of faith to think like this, but I'm telling you as a pastor who's listened to many people who are struggling, it's not that uncommon for folks of faith to feel like God's turned his back on me and that's why I'm struggling. He's avoiding me. I have a friend who visited her grandmother on her deathbed in the hospital. Her grandmother was a woman of faith for many, many years. And there, uh, right on the verge of dying, she looked afraid. And so my friend said to her grandmother, Grandma, it's okay. You're going to be with God soon. She responded, that's just the thing that's troubling me. I'm afraid he doesn't want me. She'd been carrying some grief and some guilt for years. and, and, And the way she understood this sense of God being distant from her was he must be avoiding me. He's turned his back on me, and that's why I'm where I am. Uh, Third question. This is verse 2. David asks this, how long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? Uh, Can you see the thought beneath this question? Maybe I'm stuck in this grief because this is God's plan for me. Maybe I'm supposed to feel bad. Do you notice that in the, in the question? He says, must, how long must I bear pain? Maybe other people are meant to be happy, but not me, he's thinking. Maybe God wants me to suffer. And that's why I'm feeling like I am. Soul pain and heart sorrow is God's will for me. I, I personally know exactly what it's like 
to believe that. There was a period of time in the late 90s where I was in the shadows for four years straight. I prayed over and over again, God, please change my circumstances. Take me out of this. And you know what? It only got worse. And the best sense that I could make of it as a person of faith was, well, I guess God wants me to be sad. That's why I'm here. God wants me to suffer. Look at David's last question. Second half of verse two. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now, sometimes when we suffer because of someone else, an adversary, our mind tells us God must be on his side, lifting him up and pushing you down. Maybe God wants me to lose. I'll tell you, again, this may seem like a strange thought to you, but I, I've seen it myself. Sitting down with folks who are going through devastating loss and disappointment, this thought can definitely take root in a heart that's hurting in that way. And the fruit that begins to grow when you're thinking this way is bitter and it's deadly. When marriages break down and things become adversarial or when sibling rivalry becomes aggressive, when it's us against them, when there are an oppressed group and, and a group of oppressors, it's not hard to begin to think maybe God wants me, wants us to lose. This is the fourth thought that occurs to David. When you are suffering and waiting for God, it may be that your mind tells you one of these things, maybe more than one. And this morning, the question for us is, if I am waiting for God and feeling like this, then what do I do? I know uh, there's a few of you here for whom this is, is, a, is a, a genuine question right now in life. If it's not you and you know someone else who's going through challenges, this will be the question for them. If I'm going to have faith and if things are like this and I know that God wants them to be like this, but nothing's changing, then what do I do in the meantime? How do we wait for God with faith? When you're in a place like this, you have three options. And this I know because I've been a pastor who's walked with folks through times like this. First option is that you can pretend. You can tell yourself, look, Christians aren't supposed to feel like this. People who have faith are not supposed to wonder if God cares about them. They're never supposed to entertain the possibility that God forgot them. So if I'm feeling like that, I have to pretend. I don't want to be that fussy Christian. No one wants to be around that person. So when I come to church and they ask me, how are you doing? I say, fine, even if I'm dying on the inside. Don't cry out loud. Learn how to hide your feelings. Keep it inside. Do you know that song? Do you know it or not? I'll sing it. <laughs> don't cry out loud. Just keep it inside. It's a terrible song. Learn how to hide your... It was very popular in the 70s. Melissa Manchester, okay? A lot of us have learned that this is the best strategy when you are feeling things that you wish you were not feeling. Just in general, we've learned that. But then we, we, we come to faith and we think, well, it's supposed to be like this, but it's not. So what, what should I do? And so we pretend. If you, listen, you can choose that option. If you do, it may work, but it will cost you something. And what it will cost you is joy and reality. And it will make you over time into a person who's resentful and bitter, especially toward the other people around you who seem to be doing better than you are. I'll tell you, a lot of them are probably pretending too. But that's what'll happen. You can choose to pretend. That's your freedom. You shouldn't do it. Here, second option. You can give up. If you have faith and, and it's not happening, you can choose to give up. And in my opinion, this choice has more integrity than the first. In my opinion, it's better to humbly 
and honestly walk away than to stick around while pretending. Dishonesty is bad everywhere, but it is awful in a community of faith. So you should, you should give up before you pretend. Now listen, I would never advocate for this one. And I, I would never advocate it for a very specific reason. When you give up, you are taking yourself out of the game and guaranteeing that you will not contribute to fixing the problems in the world that make you feel bad in the first place in the way that God wants you to. Thank God that men and women of faith who have struggled with waiting because nothing's changing have hung in there and chosen not to give up. Martin Luther King Jr., he had 1,000 opportunities to give up. Thank God he didn't. There are many men and women like him who in the place where they find themselves are struggling because it's not happening as God tells them it should happen. And when they don't give up, they stay in the game and they continue to contribute. What God has for you right now is some good thing that you're not seeing and you're waiting and, and oh, that you would not give up and hang in there. Of course, it is completely within your power and, and within your rights to give up. You can choose to give up. It'd be better than pretending, but neither one of those two options, pretending or giving up, is what you should do. The third road, which is what we learn from David. You heard me say that he would be our teacher. Is, is not to pretend and not to give up, but to keep praying. That was David's strategy. He felt the way he did. He didn't pretend and he didn't give up. Instead, he kept praying. Now, if I put myself in your position right now, and maybe you're in that kind of place that I was in in the late 90s, and the pastor gets up and says, well, you should still pray. You might be frustrated and angry at me. And I'll tell you that because I've lived through that as well. I have a very distinct memory of being with two friends in the evening, talking about life, and these were two guys who I envied. And I envied them because their lives seemed together in a way that mine was not. And I just let out a little bit of the struggle I was facing in their presence. And one of them turned to me and said, you know what you need to do? You need to pray. And I wanted to throw him off the balcony. Because I'd been praying and nothing was changing. And to have him tell me that made me angry. David is in that place. And he chooses not to pretend or give up. You also are free to do both and to go on praying. Look, come back to the psalm with me for a moment. After raising his questions, look at what he does. This is verse 3. He says this. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I've prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. He is courageous and bold to say to God, consider and answer me. Even as he's telling God, I'm pretty sure you've forgotten me. Maybe you've turned your back on me because you're angry at me. Maybe you want me to suffer. Maybe you want me to lose. Answer my questions, he says still. He's bold to do that. You can be too. He says, if you don't answer me, I'm going to die. Like, that's how heavy it is for him. And maybe it's just that heavy for you. But if it is, if it's that heavy, here's your example. He thinks about his enemy winning out. And he says, God, if, if that one wins, look how bad I'm going to look to others. Look how bad you're going to look. They're going to think there's something wrong with you if, if you don't answer me. And so he asks her questions. And you are invited you are completely invited. I want to invite you as your pastor. I'm pleading with you that when you feel like this, don't give up or pretend. Come to God and keep praying and ask him for answers. 
I'll tell you this. You may have to do this for a long time before you get answers from God. I prayed for four years without any answers. Four years. Maybe it'll be longer for you. We don't know how long it was for David. We just know he prayed this. And that tells us we can as well. Now, there are answers for all of the questions which he asks here in Scripture. There are. There are actually answers. Uh, Here, let's take them one at a time. Imagine you are thinking, God's forgotten me. Let's say that's in your mind. You're pretty sure that the reason you have to go about like you are right now is that God doesn't care enough about you to remember you. You slipped his mind. If you're thinking that, then listen, ask God in your prayer. God, have you forgotten me? Have you, have you forgotten about me? Ask that question. Listen to this. These are the words from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. The prophet asks the question, can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? The answer to that question is, of course not. Look at this. Yet these, even these may forget. Yet I will not forget you, God says. It's more likely that a woman who is holding her infant and feeding her infant from her own body would forget about that infant than God would forget about you. You are in God's mind. He will never forget about you. Every single circumstance that you are facing right now is a concern to God. It's in his mind and in his heart. God has not forgotten you. Uh, Let's say you're thinking uh, that second thing that David was thinking. Uh, Not that God's forgotten me, but God's avoiding me. That's why I feel all alone. If that's in your mind, ask God, are you mad at me? Have I done something that's made you turn away from me? Listen now, ask that question to God and then listen. Maybe there is some guilt that you bear right now, which you need to own before God and receive God's forgiveness. But then ask him, have you left me? on my own because you're angry at me. Again, the answer, if you ask that, will be no. Uh, That's not how God works. God does not get angry at us and then turn away even when we disappoint God, even when we do the thing which is wrong. uh, That's not how God operates. Here, look at Psalm 30, verse 5. Watch this. For his anger, for God's anger, is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Even when our actions evoke God's righteous anger, he still chooses to favor us. Because God is love, and there is no end to his patience for us. What, what, if, what if I've really, really made God angry? Uh, will, he, will he turn away from me? No, the answer is God's favor for you is, is forever. And inside right now, you're shouting out, amen. But you can't say that in here. It's the place where we're quiet. So shh. What if in your grief, and this is so heavy, but what if in your grief, your heart is saying to you right now, okay, listen, God wants me to suffer. That's why I'm in this place. It has to be true. Otherwise, why wouldn't he have responded to my prayers? It must be that God wants me to suffer. Maybe you know that Jesus promised that the life of discipleship would be challenging, involving self-denial and sacrifice. You know that passage where Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And so you're telling yourself that, look, this is why I'm like this, because God wants his people 
to suffer. And that's why I'm having a hard time. Listen, I know all about this one because I told myself this every single morning for four years. Can you please listen to me? God does not want you to be joyless. God's plan for you is not grief. Jesus is the great physician. He came to heal every single wound that you have, every one of them, to heal our our wounds, to bind up our hearts, and to lift our burdens, taking them on himself. There is plenty of suffering out there that's pointless and unredemptive. Here, look at the second half of, of Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. The will of God for you is joy. As certain as the sun is going to come up every single morning, God's will for you is to lift that grief in the darkness and give you joy and settled peace and a sense of his love that is like bedrock underneath your feet. You, you, you may be in that place now where it's nighttime, but, but, but listen, joy comes with the morning. That's God's promise to you. Here, what about that fourth thing that might occur to you that occurred to David? That it's God's will that you should lose. If your heart is saying that, okay, fine. Other people maybe are meant to win, but not me. God wants me to lose. That's why I'm stuck here. If your heart is saying that to you, and you're believing that God's goodness is for other people, but not for you. Here, listen to this word of God. This is Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. And that means the only way that God's compassion is not over you The only way that God is not good to you is if God didn't make you. And and, and right at the start of our Bible, we learn that God made everyone. And so it can't be true. God doesn't want you to lose. He's got, his will for you is positive. It's victory in him. Your heart may say, God wants me to lose and that's why I'm here, but it's just not true. He's good to you and he's good to your enemies too, because they're a part of all also. He is good to all. When you are stuck waiting for God and it feels like God is nowhere, this strategy which David opens up for us to go on praying is the one that you should pursue. And there are answers when you ask for God's, uh, when you ask your questions of God, there are answers. Uh, But now here, one more question. What if you do what I'm suggesting here and you still feel nothing at all of God's deliverance? What about then? Uh, What if you know those promises and it doesn't make any difference? Uh, What if, like David, you wrote some of those promises and you still have questions? Think about that. Some of those which I just read, Psalm 30, David wrote that and he still is feeling like he's been abandoned by God. What do you do then? And, And I'm asking this question because if you pursue the strategy I've suggested, you stop pretending, you you don't give up, and you keep praying. And because you're in this place, you may still be there for a while. What should you do if if nothing changes in your heart? The way that the psalm ends shows us a beautiful answer from David's example. After sharing his feelings and asking his questions, look at verse 5, how it ends. David says this, But I trusted in your steadfast love... Uh, Hold on a minute. That clause right there is a statement. It's a description of a past experience. Do you notice? I trusted in the past. I trusted in your love. It's a description of a past experience. David, in this moment of grief, can remember a time when he trusted God in the past and God proved to be trustworthy. Can you remember a time like that? 
Close your eyes for a moment. If it helps you, put your hand on your heart. I can remember times in the past. I remember when I was sitting with a group of middle school students on that summer retreat, and the man up front said, no matter what, God loves you. Just as you are, I felt so small because I was small and and I felt insecure, but something about that moment made it so that I felt in my heart God's acceptance and love and joy over me, and in that moment, I felt taller than everyone else. Can you remember a moment like that? Or I remember after college having no idea what I was going to do and asking God and then finally deciding I'm going to strike out on a new adventure. I'm going to go and serve in a ministry in Philadelphia. And I remember the moment I sat down across the table from Joe, my friend, and told him what I had decided. And he started to laugh. And he said, you know, I've been praying for 10 years that God would lead you into something like this. I remember that. I remember in those bleak times in the end of the 90s, that night that I was walking, crying all by myself, thinking God definitely forgot about me. And then, surprisingly, here comes a friend of mine on the sidewalk who stops and says, Christian, how are you making it? And when I cry, he says, I love you and I'll be here with you no matter what. And it was as if God said that to me. Can you remember any moments like that? He adds, after thinking back on God's love. Look at the next clause. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Do you see what that is? That's a declarative statement about the future because of what I've seen in the days behind me, David says. I am convinced that I know what's ahead. And what's ahead is that one day this tired and sad heart of mine will rejoice in your salvation, he says to God. God's salvation will be close at hand someday and I will rejoice in that day. This is a statement about the future that comes from faith because of what I've experienced in the past, this is what I know will come in the future. And friend, you are also absolutely free to make a feeling-denying statement right now based on faith about the future. You can say, it doesn't matter what I feel now. My faith tells me one day I'll rejoice in this salvation again. David does that. And look at the last thing David does. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The first clause is about the past. The second clause is about the future. This is a statement about what he's going to do in the present. And what he's going to do in the present, he's going to sing. Isn't there something special about singing? When you're really sad, don't you find that certain sad songs just work? Right? Maybe you don't sing those sad songs around other people. Go off and on your own, sing anyway. Or maybe it's a joyful song that really lifts your spirit. Sing that one. Do not start singing don't cry out loud. Don't sing that. But sing in, in the moments of waiting for God. Sing a song of faith. You're free to do that, as David did. And you're invited to do that. And, and every man and woman of faith who has persevered and pushed through impossible times, you'll, you'll see this. They were someone who kept singing. When you're waiting for God, this is the whole thing in a, in a nutshell. Are you ready? When you're waiting for God, Don't pretend, don't give up, but keep on praying. Remember the past, trust the future, and in the present, sing, sing. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gift of the Psalms, for the witness they are to us about what it's like to live in the world, which in so many ways is is broken and waiting. God, we are waiting. In various ways, we're waiting for you. And and you know exactly what's going on inside of our hearts. 
But we thank you for this tremendous gift of this example of David. Remind us from what we've learned together this morning that we don't need to pretend. We can tell you exactly what we're feeling no matter what it is. Remind us also that we don't need to give up, but instead we can go on praying to you because you will listen and you'll hear us. And when the waiting is long and when the night is full of grief and dark, teach us the discipline of singing anyway. Give us a song in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name.